out for a beautiful Saturday evening walk here. There's a heavy rain this morning and it cleared into just sort of a mild spring day with some sun out. Just God, this is this is how air was meant to be. I just walked through the woods behind my house to a natural wetlands area. Very secluded, wooded. And this air is just blowing my mind. Because I love a good winter air. You know, I like it when you go outside in the winter, in the middle of winter, and it's harsh. It's cold and it's harsh, but it's refreshing. I love that. And that's some, I mean, really, that's some of my favorite air. Some of my favorite air right there. But I actually think this is perfect. Because the thing is, that's not sustainable. Like, you can't hang outside in the cold for hours and hours breathing the air. It's just too cold. But a night like tonight where, I think it was probably in the 60s today, but yeah, heavy, heavy rain. Like, everything's soaking wet. All of the trees, all of the brush, you know, everything is um, hydrated. And the air, I'm just, I'm just blown away by the air. I mean, I'm a little bit stoned, <laughs> just a little bit, but I don't think that's that. I don't think that's what I'm experiencing right now. I think I'm just really taking the air in. And what actually made me think that is I was messaging with my buddy in LA. He's from this area, but he lives in LA now. And he spent time exactly where I'm at. He and I have hung out in this exact area many times. And he, uh, I, just, I, I, I was like, oh, I'm, in the, I'm at that trail. And I sent him a picture of the trail, the woods. And it got me thinking about like, man, I'm so glad that this is the air I'm breathing right now. I don't know what it's like in LA, but LA has pretty bad air. I mean, I do know what it's like. <laughs> I, I do, I, I was trying to be humble there, but I actually do know what it's like in LA. Spent a lot of time in LA. But even if I hadn't, we all know, you know, the smog. L.A. is smog city. Just made me really glad to be here, being like, you know, this is the good air. I cannot take this for granted. But actually, what made me start recording is... The way this trail goes is it, uh, it curves along, and you can either follow it to go to the road, or you can kind of veer off and go to the lake. And uh, I decided to go down to the lake... And I wasn't thinking, and this is something I've realized that I've started doing. It's not brand new or anything, but something that I've realized that I've started doing just in the last maybe probably four or five years, maybe six years, but definitely in the last four or five years, is if I'm a little bit stoned or a lot of bit stoned and I go on long walks, I kind of start talking to myself. Like, not out loud, not like I'm talking loudly to myself, having a conversation like this, but I'll just sort of start mouthing some of the words that are coming to my head. And I do it uh, unconsciously, you know? Gotta make sure I don't get killed here. Busy, busy road with no sidewalk. It's gonna be the name of my children's book, Warning. I'm gonna do a children's book. Uh, teaching kids to uh, follow traffic safety rules. And it's going to be called Busy Busy Row with No Sidewalk. But uh, that's something I've realized I started doing in the last, you know, four or five years. Is, you know, I'll, be, I'll just be going for a walk. I'll be going on a long walk. And I start to kind of mouth the words that I'm thinking. Not all of them. Not like I'm just walking along mouthing words all the time, but I just unconsciously start moving my lips and even kind of whispering the words. I don't know why that developed. You know, I know, fortunately, it's not sudden. Like, if that happened suddenly or if I wasn't stoned when I did it, it'd probably be an issue. But I think maybe just, maybe when you're getting older, like when you're getting older, smoking a little bit of weed. You start talking to yourself when you walk. I don't know. But I was doing just that. Like, I was walking through the woods, just kind of, like, deep in thought. Breathing this godly air. And it is godly air. And then I, I went down by the lake. Not even thinking. Like, walking quickly. In my own world. Whispering to myself. 
And then just suddenly I looked down and like I came up right behind a young woman. Like she was down by the water, crouched down, like taking photos or something. And it just, it, I mean, I was like, oh. and it's, it's a bad spot to, to startle a woman. You know, you got to be very mindful. If you walk, if you're, if you're a lone man, or even if you're not a lone man, if you're just a man, period, walking in the woods, you got to be very mindful of what that means. I've talked about this on here for years. I've been telling my friends about it for years. But that was a really, you know, that was a big lesson for me in life. Because when I was like 18, when I was a young man, back when I was a young man, you know, I, I was spending a lot of times in the, a lot of time in the woods by myself. And uh, I noticed it was always kind of a weird, awkward interaction when you'd pass by a lone woman. And I knew why. It wasn't like I was an idiot. You know, I could understand why that's a weird situation. Like, you're a lone man passing by a lone woman in the middle of the woods. Nobody needs to map that whole equation out as to why that's an awkward situation or a weird situation. But I always, you know, back then it was like, I always tried to say hi in a, in a non-committal way. Just hi, just like let them know I'm friendly, but also I'm not looking to have a conversation with you. Hi. Hello. But some people wouldn't say it back. And it wasn't like it made me ultra angry, but I remember if, I remember feeling that. You know, I remember feeling like the roots of you know just being insulted, like being offended a little bit. Like kind of having the thought that like, hey, you know, I I extended my hand in civility. Can you at least say hi back? No more than that. All you have to do is say hi back. You know, I never said anything. I never acted weird about it. I don't think so, at least. Um, I'm trying to think. <laughs> Is there any time where I react? No, I mean, I never said anything back to them or anything. Like, how dare you? Like, I, I understood. I understood it was a weird situation. I understood that it was... It's got to be weird to be a woman alone in the woods and you just see a man up ahead. A man approaching. But, it, you know, it's kind of a lesson to me in learning. Like, oh yeah, you know, terrible people say hi. Like, terrible people act polite and civil and then do horrible things. Like, they're in a situation where even if the guy is nice to them and says hi, and even if they're nice to them and say hi back, that doesn't change anything. That really doesn't change anything at all. Somebody who's going to do something horrible, a predator, is probably more likely to be polite. So, you know, and I, and I learned that very quickly. You know, it wasn't like it took me years to figure that out. I learned that pretty quickly because when I would say hi to somebody and they wouldn't say hi back, I knew it wasn't right to be bothered by that. Like, even though my, my fragile human ego wanted to be mad and be like, how dare they not say hi back to me when I, you know, I extended the olive branch. But like deep down, I knew that, no, you, you can't be upset about that. And then it was this light bulb moment where I was like, oh yeah, you know, like they are dealing, women, when a, when a woman sees a man in the woods, she is dealing with the most dangerous creature on earth. You know, you, you are dealing with the most dangerous creature on earth. And, uh, that's every single time that's got to give you pause if you're a woman. And there's no, and, and if that guy you're, who's approaching you is a predator, aside from maybe like calling somebody or using mace or screaming like there's there's only so much you can do there's only so much available to you in that situation so uh, I don't know so basically like what it, not to belabor it but just like what I ended up realizing is like okay the right approach is if, if there's a lone woman in the woods what I was gonna say just to finish that like you know when a woman sees a man that's the most dangerous creature on on the planet and I know that from my own experience like, if I'm in the woods by myself, 
and I see a lone dude up ahead or behind me, God forbid, I immediately start thinking about what I'm going to do. <laughs> I immediately like get hypervigilant, not paranoid, but I just start thinking, okay, if this guy fucks with me, what am I going to hit him with? Where am I going to go? So, uh, if I'm thinking that as an able-bodied man, as an able-bodied able man, an able-bodied man, if I see a guy in the woods and I'm thinking, am I going to have to bash this guy's head in with a tree branch? What the fuck is a woman thinking in that situation? So anyway, I understood. I understood why that's a... Why, for a woman, that might be a weird situation. And so I decided what I was going to do, and I still do this to this day, but I figured it out back then when I was 18 or 19, was that, okay, the best approach in that situation is if you see a lone woman in the woods, you don't say anything. You get as far away from her as possible, not in an insane way. Like, not, not, you don't get away from her in an, an insane way. But, like, if you're both on a path, you get as far to the opposite side from her as possible. Like, you, don't, you do as little to invade her space as possible. And then you let her say hello first. Like you get out of her way, and then you just mind your own business. Maybe you make eye contact, like, you know, just very uh, brief, disarming eye contact, but you let her say hello, and if she says hello, then you say hello. Just a little something I learned. But anyway, so I, I came upon this woman just now, just a few minutes ago, young woman, maybe my age or younger, and uh, she was like crouched down by the water, and this is a very secluded spot. Not only is this a pretty secluded trail, but this spot down by the lake is very secluded. You rarely see anybody down there. You can hang out down there and do whatever you want. You hang out down there and do whatever you want. So anyway, it's going to be an awkward situation because she was actually cornered. Like if I had been a bad person, the only thing she could do to escape me would be to go into the lake. It's a dead end. And she was right down by the water. And I had the high ground, because it, it kind of, it cascades down as it gets closer to the water. And here I am, like, stoned, walking, muttering to myself, completely in my own world. For one reason, because you never see anybody down there. So I wasn't expecting to see somebody. And so I just came up, like, right behind her, right behind her. But you know what? She was she was just so confident and chill. Because I was like, oh, hey, sorry about that. And I was like, oh, hey, sorry. And she was like, oh, no worries. Like, she was so not disturbed. Like, I, I was actually amazed. Like, I didn't seem to scare her at all. Like, I was the one who was scared. You scared me, lady. What are you doing crouching down like that? You're gonna give a guy like me a heart attack. But it was just funny to me. I don't know, it's just funny to think about because it's like that's a situation like, you know, I mean, I haven't really, I've actually, you know, I'm having sort of a, a moderate interest in true crime still. It's not like it was a month ago where I was just reading about true crime obsessively again. Uh, you know, I'm reading a little bit about it here and there. Hell, uh, just an, a moderate dose of it. But that is one of those things, though, where it's like simply the presence of a man. Like that video of the Delphi killer that the girl took before he killed her. That's insane. Like just a man walking. Like it's amazing how ominous a man walking can become when you know what that guy did or what he's capable of. So good for this girl today, you know, being literally cornered by a secluded lake. And a guy just 
comes stumbling out of the, the woods, muttering to himself, that's me. I come muttering to myself in my own world. She scared me, though, which is how it should be. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's how things should be. Like, if a man and a woman run into each other in the woods, it's always better if the guy is the one who gets scared. <laughs> it, it's, uh, that's, that's a situation where 100% of the time, <laughs> 100% of the time, that situation is going to end better if the guy is the one who's scared. But no, yeah, I've been smoking a little weed lately, and uh, it's one of those things, there's two things that I've noticed. One is that, like, like if I start thinking about something, like something that, that I do recreationally, that I don't do all the time anymore, but if I, if I notice myself start thinking about it, and I, I'm, start, I'm thinking about it a lot, not about doing it, but I, I'm just thinking about it a lot, I realize that's usually a sign that I need to do it. And there's two things that I've noticed that about with myself, which are weed and running. Like it had been six months since I touched weed. My friend came to visit me a month ago and he bought just a bag of edibles. I think they were like 10 milligrams each, something around there. And he took a bunch of them. He got down here and I was amazed. I was worried because he immediately ate like five of them. And I know that like 50 mil, and he, I don't think he smokes a lot of weed these days. So I was like, shit, man, he just, he ate like 50 milligrams of weed like it was nothing. And even when I'm consuming a lot of weed, like even years ago when I was, I went through a period a few years ago where I was just eat, it was amazing. Like I was, I was just continuously consuming edibles. Like I had these capsules that had weed oil in them and then I had mints. It was after it became legal and it was after like they started making all these different products and edibles were something that you know you didn't really have steady access to pretty much until it became legal like yeah people would make cookies and brownies those were always a huge gamble they either you either didn't feel anything or they completely blasted you out of you know out into the solar system so the idea of like regulated weed candy weed treats edibles as they call them what we call edibles the idea that you could actually like know what you're consuming and like learn the, do the, the best dosage for you that was all it's all very new like even to somebody who grew up smoking a lot of weed when it was illegal that's very new to me like I knew everything there was to know about smoking weed but it wasn't until it became legal that I really learned you know how edibles hit you how to use them so I was on edibles all the time some years back. And uh, even then, though, like even when I was on edibles all the time, 50 milligrams would still probably do a number on me. Yeah, I know there's people who can, they've gotten their tolerance up to where, I mean, I used to watch this podcast where the, the, the two hosts would eat thousands of milligrams. They would eat thousands. And it was part of their shtick. And I love watching people who have gotten too stoned. There's something really, I wouldn't even call it entertaining. It's just really interesting. Weed's really interesting to me in that way because it's so mild in so many ways, but it can really get a stranglehold on you. Like for as much as people think of weed as this casual thing that you can just do without thinking about it, which is sort of true. It can also just really get a grip on you. It can hit you in weird ways and impact your entire way of thinking. And so watching these guys on the show who would do like thousands, I'm not even exaggerating. They would get these specially made edibles from like a local weed company. And I think that one of them had, I know they had one that had 300 milligrams in it. It was like a big gummy bear that had 300 milligrams. But if I remember right, I think they were able to get one that had a thousand. But they would eat multiple of the 300 ones. And every once in a while, they would have another guest who, even if they smoked weed, that person would just take like a bite of the gummy bear. It would eat, it would eat like a paw of the gummy bear. And there were a few times where they had to stop the show. 
because the guest was so high off of just eating like a knuckle off that gummy bear's paw. A knuckle off the, the paw of a gummy bear. A knuckle off the gummy bear's paw. Saying, well, that one really bites the knuckle off the gummy bear's paw. I start saying that. Can't tell if it's like a bad thing. Like it's like it's like a way of saying "dang it." It's like, oh yeah, you got a flat tire today. Well, that really bites the knuckle off a gummy bear's paw. It could also be like chip off the old block. I don't know about that one. Yeah, he's he's uh, yeah that that one doesn't work as much. First one works. It's sort of a version of "dang it." It really bites the knuckle off the gummy bear's paw. But uh, anyway, these people would just get so just blitzed out of their mind. But, you know, point being, like, I've been in a state where, like, my weed tolerance, edibles, smoking, is insanely high. Like, I even bought that RSO stuff for a while. Back during that time, I would buy the RSO. I think, yeah, I think that's what it's called, RSO. It's like some guy's initials. He's a guy who, back when weed was illegal or medical only, he developed some, this kind of goo. I mean, it looks like the sort of resin that you scrape out of a pipe. Like, if you've ever scraped a pipe that has fresh resin in it, how it's gooey. It's like a, a, a gooey black tar. Some of the most disgusting shit in the world, and I've smoked so much of that back when I was a, a young kid, and you'd run out of weed and didn't have any money scraping your pipe. Something kind of awesome about it, too, because, like, sometimes you'd find, like, a big rock of dried resin, and it would just get you stoned. It was always kind of disgusting and headachy. It was never as good or as pure as just smoking a bowl or something like that. But it, it, it felt great, though, because you were like, oh, I got something. Oh, that's a big chunk of resin. That's going to last me all night. And it would get you really high. But it was almost, it was almost like a different drug or something. But this RSO liquid, whatever it is, this RSO oil, it looks like that. It looks like, like gooey black tar, fresh resin, and it's in a plastic syringe. And you, and it, so it comes out the end of the syringe. And the first time I ever bought it, I don't even know what I was thinking. I don't know why I chose to buy that. I'd seen it in the glass case at the weed store. And the guy who was working was like, yo, man. When you use this, don't ever use more than a grain of rice at the end of a toothpick. That's what he told me. He's like, don't ever use more than like a grain of rice-sized squirt on the end of a toothpick, because like you'll get blasted. That should be another saying, a grain of rice at the end of a toothpick. Oh, look at him. He's, he's nothing more than a grain of rice at the end of a toothpick. That one really bites the knuckle off a gummy bear's paw. Grain of rice at the end of a toothpick. I like those. Those are good sayings. But uh, yeah, that's what he told me. And sure enough, though, like within a short amount of time, I think accidentally the first time, but like, yeah, you squirt like a little bit at the end of it, put it on the end. I think I did exactly what the guy told me. Now that I think about it, the first time I tried RSO, I believe I did exactly as I was told. I believe I squirted a grain of rice size. And it was the most I'd ever thought about how big a grain of rice is. Like, as I was squirting this thing, I thought to myself, is that the size of a grain of rice? Hey, is, that, is that too big? Is it too small? Is, it, is that a grain of rice? I really wondered, like, am I squirting out the right size? Because this guy made it sound like... I mean, if, it's a, if I squirt out, like, a big grain of rice size thing... Is that going to make a difference? What is this guy... In this guy's mind, how big is a grain of rice? But I tried it, and I think I got pretty high. I don't think it ever... The thing is about it is, I don't think it ever hit me as hard as I thought it would. But it, it did hit you hard. And I might it might hit me much harder if I tried it now. But... Uh, you know, within a couple weeks, I was, like, squirting, like, lines of it out. Within a couple weeks, I would just, like, if I had nothing to do that day, I would just, like, squirt out, like, a toothpick size amount. <laughs> Maybe not that much, but a lot. 
I was no longer squirting out a grain of rice on the end of a toothpick. I was just squirting out a whole toothpick. That's another saying. He's squirting out, it, it's disgusting. I don't even know what that brings to mind, but... Are you, what are you doing, squirting out a toothpick, honey? It's that sort of thing, though. Uh, where, like, you know, you build up a tolerance really quickly. And so I'm on this RSO liquid, and I'm just high out of my mind. But even then, point being, even then, at that point, if I ate, like, 50 milligrams worth of gummies in a short amount of time... I would probably still be really fucked up. Probably too high to function. And so when my buddy visited, back to that, but when my buddy visited, like, I was a little worried. You know, I was a little worried when I saw that he ate 50 milligrams. I was like, oh shit, he's gonna have... Like, this is gonna be some, like, boring existential nightmare that I'm gonna put him through. He's gonna wish he wasn't here. But I ate just a little bit. He gave me one, like, 10 milligram candy. And I hadn't been high for six months. This is about a month ago. So I was like, I'm going to take a tiny little bite. Just, like, a, the tiniest. Like, I'm going to be as conservative as I can. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to try to bite off as little as possible. Like, my teeth are barely going to scrape the edge of this thing. And so that's what I did. I took a tiny little bite. And then, you know hour later we went to the store we walked to the store and I'm sure glad I took a tiny little bite because I knew something was different I started to get this feeling of impending doom people's faces in the grocery store looked weird to me not like not like they were distorted but just like I was no I was noticing people's faces and maybe part of that is because I haven't really seen people's faces stoned in a long time. Like, the mask mandate just dropped. Like, they just let go of that, like, a month or two ago. I think a month ago. I think it was, like, the beginning of March, maybe. So, this is the first time I've been even remotely stoned. I wasn't stoned. But it was just enough to feel it. Like, there was just enough in my system to feel something different. And here I am seeing people's faces, probably for the first time in a year. I didn't dwell on it, you know, I didn't think too hard about their faces. But it was just one of those moments where I was like, I'm glad I bit off as small of an amount as I did, because I'm feeling it. But then as the night went on, I was like, you know, this is manageable, this is okay. So I ate a little bit more and a little bit more, eventually ate the whole thing, and was a little bit stoned all night. But it made me realize, because like, one of the reasons why I don't like to smoke as much weed anymore, I mean, there's many reasons. But one of them is just because that feeling of impending doom just... I don't know what it is. I never got that when I was growing up. I could smoke as much weed as I wanted between ages like 17 and 27, 28. And then it was just like a switch got flicked. Flipped. Flicked or flipped. Do you flick a switch or flip a switch? Do you flick people off or flip them off? I grew up in a flicking-off environment. When I was growing up, my friends and I all said, flick, C-K, flick off. Flipping off, I don't know where, the, I don't know if that's a regional thing. It's kind of loud here. Uh, I don't know if that's a regional thing where some parts of the country say flip. Because, I mean, it really brings something different to mind. Like, flicking sounds more harsh. Like, if you flick a bug, that's a really mean thing to do. Sometimes necessary. But if you flick a bug, you can kill it. Like, if you flick something, like, literally flick something, I'd say it shows callous disregard. But flipping, I don't know, flipping's weird. And, like, you can also imagine, like, someone flicking something with their middle finger. In fact, that is what we use. Like, if I'm gonna flick something... I mean, who the fuck flicks things with their pointer finger? Maybe women. It seems like something women would do. I can imagine a woman f flicking something with her pointer finger and thumb. But I think most people are gonna, you know, flick things with their middle finger. Well, there's a cloud that looks like George Washington. <laughs> I'm 100% serious.
there's a cloud that looks like it's like a long vertical cloud coming out of the ground like I, like the tree line is cutting off the bottom of it so it just it looks like a guy it looks like George Washington standing in profile like the side of George Washington's head and his upper body too George Washington's upper body but you never thought about that have you you ever thought about George Washington's upper body? Sounds like a gay thing. <laughs> but, uh... Flicking and flipping. Like, flipping is just weird. Like, I can't imagine flipping something with my middle finger. I can understand that it does... It is kind of a flipping motion. I can understand it, but I just don't think it's the best uh, choice of words. I think flick makes more sense. And I think I'm a better and stronger person because I grew up in an environment where we said flick off, not flip off. But uh, flicking and flipping, let's just try to retrace our steps here. Going back to the weed. Um, getting stoned for the first time in six months. I don't know. It's all related to that somehow. But yeah, realizing, okay, like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm stoned and that, oh yeah, well, just the, the flick, <laughs> the, the switch getting flicked. Well, like, so, probably around my, my mid to late 20s, suddenly I used to get hit, suddenly I would get hit with this impending doom when I would smoke weed. Not every time, but it was relatively new. Like, it's not that I never had bad experiences with it when I was a teenager, it's just that for the most part, you were just kind of excited to be high. You were just kind of like in the moment of it. And maybe that's just what life experience does to you. You just get a little bit of life experience as an adult under your belt. And all of a sudden, this anxiety and dread and doom creeps into your weed smoking experience. And I see that as a sign too to stop doing it. It took me a long time to realize that, oh, this is a sign that either there's something I need to fix in my life, or, you know, I shouldn't be doing this as much. The messages like that are, some, sometimes messages like that are so obvious, you miss them. You're just like, oh, why am I uh, so miserable every time I smoke weed now? Why am I so, why, why do I get so upset and, uh, feel the entire earth is collapsing every time I smoke weed. I don't know, but I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it. That's what you do. That's what I did. It was like, I just kept doing it. And I'm like, oh, it seems like more often than not, this is a gamble now. And a lot of that too, is if you don't, what I found too, is uh, that's a tolerance thing. Not that, not that you won't get that feeling of doom, even when you have a high tolerance, but the likelihood of experiencing it, if you're tolerance is low is way higher and I saw people have some really bad trips and I would call them trips I've seen people have some really bad trips with weed in high school there was this girl that kind of hung around with us I never really got along with her she just kind of hung around with us for a little while I don't know this I don't really know how that happened but there was one night where we all got just so high at our friend's house big group of kids big group of kids got really high and my friend he was older and had his own house we were all in high school and he had a band room and so like he, this guy and our friend with the house was sober like he didn't he didn't drink he didn't smoke weed he didn't, he didn't do anything he just worked and played music and let a bunch of high school kids do whatever they wanted at his house but so he would go in and play music and he had a band that would play so we would just get really high and watch him play and so we were watching him play music and then like we went back out back on the back patio and that girl that we were with who had smoked with us she's laying on her side and her head is in the lap of this christian girl who didn't do anything either like there was this christian girl who hung out with us too and she she didn't smoke weed and once in a while she would have a like a smirnoff ice or something and act drunk but she was just this sweet christian girl who decided to hang around with these fucking weirdos but this other girl who did smoke weed like she's laying there 
with her head in the Christian girl's lap, just bawling her eyes out. Like, she's just bawling. Her mask, because she wore heavy mascara. This girl wore really heavy black mascara. And, and like, the mascara is just, like, running, and she's just bawling. And we're like, what's going on? We're all still really high. Because when you get high at that age, you stay high. That was what was nice about being a teenager, is, like, you take one hit with your friends, and you're high for five hours. But we were like, what's going on with this girl? And then so, we were, we were watching this girl for a second, just bawling her eyes out, and, like, the Christian girl was just sort of, like, gently, like, petting her head, trying to tell her everything's okay. And the girl who was losing it was just, like, muttering. Just like, everybody's just... Everybody's dying. And, and they don't even realize it. They're just acting like everything's normal. This is all going away. That's the kind of stuff she was saying. Like, she was having this existential crisis, this existential breakdown. And she was, like... The thing she was saying, like... She was very aware of the fact that, like, life is transient. She seemed to be having, like, a... a honestly, in a different context... It's almost like, uh, in a different context, it's almost like a spiritual epiphany. Where, like, she was really, really high at this house with a bunch of teenagers. And she was very well aware of the fact that, like, this is all going to end. Like, this is all just a moment in our lives. And everything's fleeting. It's all an illusion. And we're all going to die. But it hit her like a, you know, a bag of bricks. And uh, what did we do? We laughed. It's because we're evil. Because us boys, we were evil. No. How do you not laugh? Because the thing is, I can guarantee you, each of us has been through that thought process. Me and my friends, all of us guys who saw her out there just losing it, we laughed. I mean, we didn't go out there and, like, point at her. Like, we didn't... We just like stood in the doorway and tried to like muffle our laughter. She still noticed. She she noticed. She saw us laughing, but it was involuntary, you know. Cause you know, I mean what she was observing is real. You know, what this girl was sensing is some was something very real. This is just some quickly passing moment in time. A bunch of young people you know, seniors in high school or whatever age we were, juniors in high school. Life. I get it. But it was still funny. I mean, that's still funny to me. Another time, too, like being in a car, I'm not going to go down every list of times that I've seen people have a bad trip with weed, but a bunch of us in high school were in a friend's car. I think we hotboxed it, did one of those things that kids do. And a good friend of mine... Who, you know, he and I smoked who knows how much weed together over the years. But so he could handle himself, and he was always a lot of fun. He could handle his high, and he was always a lot of fun. But all of a sudden, like all of us in the car noticed that he had gotten really, really quiet. Like we had been joking. We had, we'd, I think we'd gone off-roading. My friend had this Jeep with huge wheels. And so there's this place where you could like go off-roading and like pull off to the side and smoke. It was paradise over there. I wish we had gone there more. And uh, so we got off road and we'd just been like laughing, having a great time. And then like all of us suddenly noticed that this one friend was just dead quiet. And I think there was even something like, like one of the friends in the, I was in the back seat with him and like one of the friends in the front seat was like, hey Steve. And he didn't respond. It was, it was almost like he had gone catatonic. And I looked at him, because I was sitting next to him, and he was like, kind of like, he was a tall, thin guy, good posture, but he'd kind of slumped. Like, he was kind of like lurching, he was kind of like leaning forward, and his eyes were just like staring straight forward, like down, but straight forward, and kind of glassy, kind of glossy, glassy. And he, he just, it was almost like he was trying to say words and they weren't coming out. Like, you could almost see his mouth, like, starting to make words, but he just couldn't get them out. 
And so we ended up like pulling over, or we ended up going to a spot to smoke more, I think is what it was. It was like in this, it was this cool spot that we went to a few times. It was, it was next to a really big church. And the church had this like little street next to it that was a dead end. It was kind of like an alley. And when the church was closed, like nobody's going to be using this thing. So we'd go there. And so we pulled in there and, and my friend was like, I need you to let me out of the car. So we let him out of the car and he just went down and he laid down on the concrete. He just laid down on his back. And uh, he just experienced probably what that girl experienced. Probably the same thing. And he just laid there next to the car for pretty much the whole time we were there. Just laid flat on his back, his eyes open. Something just, something snapped in him while we were hanging out. And he was, you could tell he was experiencing a nightmare. <laughs> you could tell, like, like when, when my friend was like, Steve, he doesn't say anything. And I looked over, I saw it. Like I saw the nightmare playing out. Uh, which is, uh, that's what they used to say on that show, actually. The show where they would eat, like, thousands of milligrams. When somebody would hit that point, they would say, oh, he sees the devil now. And that's kind of what it is. And that's kind of what it is. But, uh, and I, I've been through that. But for me, it was like, I generally didn't go through that when I was younger. And then it was like, I hit a point where I started to have those nights more often than not. But the message is so obvious, sometimes you ignore it. And the message is like, hey, maybe you should uh, cut this out. Or there's other shit in your life you need to straighten out. And this is either letting you know that. Like this feeling is letting you know that something's wrong. Or maybe you just shouldn't do this as much. Maybe, maybe weed has outlived its purpose for you for now. And I think that's what it was for me. I think it was both those things for me. I think I, I had to deal with both those things and I, you know, I don't think I even, I haven't straightened out all my issues or anything, but I think that was one of the things with me is just by the time I was in my mid late twenties, there was a bunch of shit that I hadn't really, uh, hadn't worked out and getting high was a reminder somehow, like deep inside of me, it was reminding me of that. And so since then, it's, it's very much uh, touch and go, you know. The nice thing about weed being legal now is that you don't have to, like, maintain contact with a dealer. You don't have to worry about whether it's available, whether your dealer quits selling. You know, you don't have to worry about that stuff. It's nice that I can go six months without even thinking about it. Or more. I've gone more than that, like over a year. But it's nice that I can go extended periods of time and then just on a whim go, oh, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to go buy RSO. No, I'm going to go buy something at the store. It's nice that you can do that. But you notice that you start to think about things like that. Like I found myself in the last couple of months, I started to think about weed. I hadn't thought about weed in months. I had no desire to do it. But I started to notice that I was thinking about it again. And not even in a good way. Not even in the sense of like, oh, sure would be nice to, to smoke some weed. You know, it wasn't even in that way. Because I'm very critical of it, you know, like, I'm very critical in many ways of weed and the role that it plays, you know, in our, in our culture in certain ways. Um, you know, as I say time and time again, weed bonds to its host, which is why serial killers smoke a lot of weed. Which is why, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer had just finished smoking a joint with the guy with his first victim it's why like i had to i had to like try to figure it out when uh i watched this documentary as a kid about tommy lynn cells and it was talking about one of his crimes and it was like before he broke into the home and kidnapped the little girl he had smoked marijuana and i remember as a kid being like what like that doesn't make sense that doesn't that doesn't fit the uh that doesn't fit the sort of like stereotype that people have of stoners or anything like that. You know, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me because I was just, you know, I was very young. 
um, you know, and didn't have any experience with it. So hearing that, I had to kind of think about it for a second. I was like, wait, like based on what people say, you'd think that Tommy Lincell's smoking some weed would would make him peaceful. <laughs> you'd think that it would make him not want to break into a, a little girl's house and kidnap her and kill her and do God knows what. Jeffrey Dahmer. You think Jeffrey Dahmer, like just having smoked a joint with this hitchhiker he picked up, having never killed another human being before, you would think that smoking that joint, based on like our assumptions, would make you not do that. Make you not. He picked up a weight. He picked up a barbell, a dumbbell, and hit the kid in the head. Killed him. He was high when he did that. I mean, there's a, a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer from when he was in college where there was a snow day and he built a giant snow bong. Instead of a snowman, he built a giant bong, a giant bong out of ice. And he filled the bowl piece with uh, grass. So, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was a weed guy. Ted Bundy's another. Ted Bundy used to smoke a lot of pot. You know, and that goes against our assumption. You think, like, weed mellows you out, dude. But here are these guys who are doing... Not only are they not mellowed out, they're doing <laughs> the complete opposite of that. And it's because it bonds to its host. It bonds to whatever activity you're doing, whatever's important to you. Which is why, like... You know, there's a scene in that movie, uh, American Beauty where Kevin Spacey's smoking a joint and lifting weights. Well, guess what? If you're into that, smoking weed is great for lifting weights. Like, if fitness is important to you, smoking weed and working out is amazing. I can attest to that. Like, I love to do that. Which, again, though, goes against your assumption. Like, the assumption, the way that, the way that weed has been programmed into our culture is that, oh, you smoke weed and you watch, uh, you binge watch and you binge eat. If that's what you've decided to do with your night, you will do that. Like if you've, if you've camped out on the couch for the night and you're smoking weed and watching Netflix and eating food, that's what you're going to do tonight. The whole night. I've done that. But if you do it when you're starting to lift weights like if you take a puff right before your first set of reps you're gonna have a really amazing you're gonna be completely in tune with your muscles you're gonna have a really awesome workout same for running what I used to do when I was really into running when I would run like five days a week for long for long distances I would eat five, ten milligrams, eat an edible, something light, like capsules or a mint, and I would just start running. So, you, know, you know what I would do, just to time it right, I would eat the edible like right as I was getting ready, or right before I got ready. So that way I still have to like get my, my running clothes on, I still have to get my shoes on, I still have to actually start running, and uh, Then, like, it was like by the time that I was, like, just warming up on the run, the weed would start hitting me. And then you lose track of time. So you're warmed up. You've lost track of time. You're totally in the moment. You're feeling really good. Like, your body starts to feel like a locomotive. Just like lifting weights, you're very in tune with the muscles you're using. If you're running with weed, you're very in tune with the rhythm of your body. And it feels otherworldly. I haven't gone running in months. I want to go right now. I might. Maybe tomorrow. But uh, that's the thing about it, though. It bonds to its host. Like, if you're into fitness and you're making the effort to work out, weed goes really well with that. On the other side, you know, if you're looking just to crash out on the couch tonight and order pizza and eat your entire pantry and watch a bunch of stupid shit, well, weed will bond to that too. 
if you want to do some art like what i found that like i'm, I'm kind of i'm on kind of a hiatus from doing anything creative right now but sometimes i feel like i, I just especially with weed where i'll be like you know I, just, I don't even have the desire to sit down and draw but then if i start if I, if I like take a puff and immediately start drawing by the time it kicks in suddenly i'm locked into that drawing so basically like like the the trick to weed is like willing yourself to do an activity before you're high or right as you're getting high and then weed will enhance that turns out it's also true for being a freaking predator Turns out it's true for being Ted Bundy or Tommy Lynn Sells, too. Weed bonds to that experience, too. But that's one of my issues with weed in our culture, is just the way that it's dealt with. Like, the idea that it's like a chill, hippie drug. I mean, I was on a walk a few months ago. Maybe it was last year, who knows? Who knows when it was? But I had to use the restroom, so I, like, there was a, like a little like a, a little league baseball game going on at a park and they had bathrooms there so like I, I had to cut through the stands basically I had to, like I had to walk by the parents in order to get to the restroom but in the parking lot there was a dad and he looked like a rough blue collar guy he looked like a redneck and the dad was just sitting there smoking a joint and I thought that was so funny because I'm just like oh yeah this guy can't even get through his kids baseball game without getting high that would disturb me like, if I were him, I couldn't do that. Not because it's morally wrong. Like I don't think it's... It's not morally wrong for a dad to be high at his kid's baseball game. I would just be very aware of it, and it would make me anxious. Like, I wouldn't be able to... First of all, be seen doing that in the parking lot. But I wouldn't be able to go sit down with a bunch of parents and kids without being like, Oh my god. Oh my god, I'm stoned. I, just, I wouldn't be able to deal with that. But for this guy, he could. Because again, like it bonds to its host. But when I start thinking about weed again, which had started happening recently, I started thinking about it. It's usually a sign that I need to, hey, you know, maybe now's a, one of those times. You don't want to do that with everything. Like I would not do that with drinking. Like If I'm thinking about drinking, that's not a reason to drink a little bit. There's plenty of things that you can't do. But there's certain things that, you know, you, you might not be able to do all the time. They might not be good for you to do always. But you go through little cycles with them. And that's what weed has become for me. Where it's like every six months maybe, I kind of start thinking about weed again. And I also find myself thinking, you know, it'd be nice to have a little something. It'd be nice to have just a little something that makes me feel a little bit different. And then I remember, hey, that's weed. That's weed. So, but then it's funny though, because then there reaches a point where every time I go through one of these cycles now, there reaches a point where I go, oh, I'm done with it again. I wake up one day and I say, oh, I'm done with it. It's not when I run out. It's never when I run out. I usually have some. I usually have a little stash left. But I kind of reach a point where I'm like, oh, I'm done with it. I'm done with it again. And that's a good feeling too, because then you kind of go through sobriety again. You kind of get to experience the high of sobriety. So getting into weed for like a month or two every six months, it seems to work out for me. I don't think weed's a wonder drug. I think people should take weed. I think weed should be legal, available, but that we should take it a little more seriously. That's basically my stance. Legal, available, take it a little more seriously than we do. Another example too is like you think about like drive-by shootings and shit. There's gangbangers who, like, smoke a blunt while they're doing a drive-by shooting. Weed bonds to its host. But uh, the other one is running. I was, just, I was already segueing into it. But running is another one, because I've realized that I can't run continuously like I did years ago. 
I miss doing that. I really do. And there's no real reason why I don't do that anymore. There's no concrete reason why I don't run every day. But uh, it's something that I realized that it's kind of hard to maintain that. It's hard to run for hours every week. But I think it's, it's, a, it's a nice little card to have in your back pocket when you need it. And uh, I've been thinking about running a lot lately. Because when I was hitting the nicotine vapes, I was wondering how that would affect running. Because I still have lung issues. I still don't know what to do about it. I've had, I've had an issue with my right lung since I got sick in late February 2020. Probably coronavirus, but I don't know. I'm still able to run with that, though. Whatever it is, I get short of breath way easier than I ever have in my life. I can still run, though. But I was kind of curious. I hadn't really been running since getting into nicotine vapes. So I wasn't sure how that would really go. Because I, before I stopped doing it, before I, I stopped buying vapes a month ago, it had become an all-day, everyday thing. It wasn't just vaping while I do this. It wasn't just vaping here and there. I'd started doing it continuously. I wasn't feeling it. There was no buzz. There was no nothing. But now that I've kind of quit that, and a friend came over today who had one, so I used one. But the nice thing about that is I used this Nick I used a Nick vape today. Didn't make me want to buy one. Didn't really give me much of a buzz either. Somehow I lost my voice, probably yelling over traffic, but didn't make me want to buy one. But now that I've kind of phased that out for the time being, I'm like, you know what? This would be a good time to run again. Maybe I will. But those are the things. Like you, you sometimes have these thoughts. There's things that you can't do all the time anymore. But they start to come into your brain. You start to think, oh yeah, I have been thinking about that a lot. Oh yeah, I have been thinking about weed a lot. I've been thinking about weed a lot. Yeah, what we're doing is we're thinking about weed a lot. Doing what we call thinking about a little weed. But yeah, if you're thinking about a little weed, maybe it's time to smoke again. If you're thinking about running, maybe it's time to run again. And because I love running stone so much, well, hey, those things go together. Those things can go together. But that's the thing. I, I don't hear very much good conversation about weed. Because one of the things that sucks about weed being legal and totally culturally acceptable now is people want to broadcast it even more. Because the thing that I, I liked about weed back in the day was you did kind of have to keep it a secret it was your little secret in some ways and uh, it was always kind of interesting to find out who smoked and who didn't because yeah there were the, there were the the stereotypes I mean there's the people where you see them and you know but it was always interesting to find out unlikely people smoked weed my dad is one of them And uh, I, I kind of feel like that's the way it should be. I feel like weed should be something that you generally keep to yourself. Here I am doing an entire episode about it, but in general, weed should be something that you kind of keep low-key. Not because you should be... Because the thing about the way weed was in the past was like, people were low-key about it because you, you could get in serious trouble for doing it. I don't like that. I don't like people having to keep quiet about it because you're going to get in trouble. I think people should just keep quiet about it because, hey, it's your own personal business. And it never made sense to me. Like, I knew a kid, I knew several kids like this, where it's like they started smoking weed and, like, they immediately went out and bought a bong, immediately bought, like, a T-shirt with a weed leaf on it, like, they branded themselves right away. My friends and I started smoking weed, and we started smoking more and more. But it took us months. Like, we were already full-blown stoners before any of us bought a pipe. 
we would take pop cans like we would fucking burn aluminum we would make pop cans or use whatever we could because i don't think any of us wanted to admit we were stoners yet but they reached a day where one of us was just like you know what i'm buying a pipe no you know what it was somebody gave us a pipe and at that point too like we all we smoked together None of us had reached the point where you smoke by yourself yet, which would come soon. But we would smoke together. And at some point, like another friend of ours just gave us a pipe, I think. He was like, you guys have been smoking out of a pop can this entire time? So just gave us a pipe. But, uh, I mean, I think that says a lot about the people I was hanging out with. We're like, all of us, we loved weed at that point, but we didn't want to be attached to it. We didn't want to attach it to ourselves none of us were the kid who immediately buys the pot leaf shirt some people are some people start smoking weed and they immediately start listening to bob marley or whatever they immediately start playing hacky sack that's okay but it doesn't define the drug and one of the issues I have with weed, too, though, is it's very, uh, it's very pleasure-oriented for people. You know, like, people think that weed is, is this ideal substance for just indulgence. And it is. It lends itself really well to indulgence. But it becomes, like, someone's entire focus. Like, the number of people I've known, I've been this person at times... Where, like, their life revolves around smoking weed so that they can just indulge in pleasure all the time. And I don't know, I, I don't really like that framing. And, uh, it also makes people think weird things sometimes. Good weird but also bad weird. Like a friend of mine got really high some years back and for like a minute he thought he'd been molested as a kid. He hadn't been. But for a minute he was so high that his brain, you know, somehow like channeled that thought. I was like, was I molested? And you think about like where our culture is going, this is turning into a cultural rant, but where our culture is going, where a lot more people are just sitting around smoking weed all the time and promoting that. It's a big part of what they do. And, and the things it's associated with too, like you think about, I mean, I've talked about this before, but how like cam girls online have uh, like a big part of their branding is weed. They pose with weed, they, they pose with weed paraphernalia. They're often sponsored by like pipe companies, by bong companies. It's a big part of it. Like Instagram girls. They're like showing their ass in skin tight, weed leaf, yoga yogi pants. Kind of the ultimate crossover of everything. An Instagram girl showing off her figure while wearing weed leaf yogi pants. But it's, it's become associated with that. It's, it's sort of seen as this like... Is it Afro, <laughs> Aphrodite? Aphrodisiac? But that's kind of what people associate it with. You know, it's, it's, it's very much associated with, like, sensory pleasure, with material pleasure. And I would recommend people use it for other things. You know, it's not wrong to have... I mean, I do all those things, too, you know. I, I enjoy it, too. But it'd be interesting to see what would happen if we framed it a different way. You know, if some of the, the press for weed involves some of these other aspects of it. Because I just feel like it's a one-dimensional conversation. 
I think there are much more interesting conversations to be had about weed, especially now that tons of people are using it. Children can run free. 